NFTs and crypto still haven't quite assumed their place in the world, you know? We haven't even finished, like, figuring out how exactly we're going to use them yet. So, there's a lot of possibility here, you know? We built a podcast studio on the Oculus, and uh, so, literally, like, we built it with the Oculus remotes. You're in a different realm. We built a studio. The brand's called Elevated. Uh, we built the studio in the sky. So, like, the audience is sitting in clouds. Like, they press a button at the end of the show, teleport on stage, can talk to the guests. Like What? <laughs> so, I actually recently launched an NFT collection. We are basically building the first generative metaverse architecture. So, similar to generative art, but we do 3D generative architecture. So, it's spatial buildings that you can move through and populate the metaverse with. I see this is the future. Anything, everything from movie tickets to you know people, you know doing music, you know get, putting themselves out there. No more record labels. The whole nine yards. I think NFTs are really you know the future with a lot of different industries. I mean, you know, there's people out there who, you know, look at bad projects and use that as an excuse to kind of paint a bad picture on the whole space or whatnot. Or you know, you know what happened with Terra Luna. I mean, obviously there's going to be things that don't work out, but when you look at the the best courses and the tech behind it, like. It's going to happen, you know, as it will. So. What do you see from your point of view in the next one, three, and five plus years? What does that landscape really look like? The tokenization of everything. It's Josh Carey, live at VCon 2022, Gary V's inaugural, very first one experience here, here with Dan Schmieren the co-founder of Metaversal. What is the nature of this company you co-founded? So we created a very flexible holding company that could both invest and produce new content for the NFT ecosystem. What does that mean? We acquire iconic NFTs that we think can stand the test of time. We invest into NFT infrastructure, which are the essential businesses that will enable this ecosystem to thrive. And we are underwriting projects with owners of intellectual property and holders of interesting content to curate immersive experiences and compelling narratives. What gives somebody like you the perfect ability to be leading that charge? Where do you come from? So most recently, I was running a uh, fine art, fashion, and collectibles storage business. And it was in that context where we were the physical guardians, the custodians for tens of billions of dollars worth of the world's foremost cultural treasures. And I noticed that 94% of all of those items, fine art, fashion, collectibles in the world are behind bars. They're in some form of secure storage, out of sight, out of mind. And that applied to individuals, meaning private collectors, galleries, but also museums and artist estates and artist foundations, all of whom have a mission to educate, to inspire, to create broader awareness. And none of that is happening if so many of these collections are sitting in vaults, out of touch, out of reach. So I wanted to find a way to expose them and create digital activation. And the aha moment was recognizing that this space and NFTs as the tool could help unlock all of that. Uh, you acquire NFTs, you said. What was one of your favorite acquisitions in that world? You can tell I, us about I would have to tell you it's our very first NFT, uh, which, is, which is on our, our T-shirts and merch, which is our noun. It was noun number nine. 
Noun's Dow. It's, an, it's a sort of a strange-looking brown bat, but that's noun number nine. It was the very first acquisition we made as a company. We're very early to that project. We thought that it's the most innovative. They auction one a day, and the concept of DAOs is still in its infancy, but the way the team, the Nounders, put, put uh, the Nouns project together, we thought was incredibly inspirational, and we're thrilled to be supporting and starting to build around that community. So amazing. Where can someone continue the conversation with you, find out more of what you're doing? We're easy to reach. Hello at metaversal.gg. Uh, they can visit our site, metaversal.gg, and if they are artistically inclined, would love for them to submit uh, to our Meta Letters project, which is supporting emerging artists. They take one letter from our name. There's 10 letters in Metaversal. Pick a letter, submit it to Jessica, and you'll have an opportunity to become part of the Meta Letters community. How I got into NFTs was I made an art project every day for a year and a half. Got into that and I traded a, set, a portion of my salary for Bitcoin because I knew that I needed more Bitcoin. So at one point I lived off of $133 every two weeks, which is not a lot of money. Oh, and Gary would love that. Yes. So I hustled, accumulated the Bitcoin, but I started to run out of money in my bank account. So this was during COVID. And I was like, man, I need more money, but I had all these digital files, this digital art. So I Googled, this is March of 2020, early pandemic. I Googled how to make money with digital art. And guess what showed up first thing in Google? NFTs. <laughs> so I checked that out. I, I applied for Super Rare, which is an exclusive platform, and they denied my application. Again, this is March of 2020. OpenSea had just been created, but I didn't hear about OpenSea. The only way I knew to make an NFT was through Super Rare. And I said, when they deny my application, I said, ah, oh, this NFT thing, I need money now. So I didn't get into NFTs in March of 2020 at all. I totally, I did like weddings and stuff to make the money. <laughs> right. And um, then when Gary talked about NBA Top Shot, or I got into NBA Top Shot, then he started talking about NFTs and I'm like, oh, I know this very well. So. Um, how did how did you survive on $133 every two weeks? What, what was that scene like? Have you heard of peanut butter jelly sandwiches? <laughs> <laughs> I got involved in first, it was the 1111 Fun blockchain, and they brought me in as a DJ. I was DJing all these blockchain events in the Hollywood Hills, downtown LA. I was like hosting, curating dinners in LA and New York at like the Baccarat with a bunch of influencers and friends and stuff. And my very first um, event that I DJed, there were all these NFT artists curating physical pieces, and they're like, you're a physical artist too? And I said, yeah. They allowed me to put up seven of my pieces to sell them as NFTs. So my very first experience into NFTs was raising funds for the blockchain 1111 fund. My birthday's 1111. I was DJing and I had seven of my pieces showing. So it was like a three in one meant to be. There is a, uh, there's, there's a big woman, women push in NFTs. What is your role in that push? I'm spearheading, I'm a leader. I'm onboarding people, I'm, you know, curating NFT artists and I'm putting out work myself. Where can people find you, Katie? My uh, She's All Over the Place podcast is the best way to hear. I have over 80 episodes. I have a women empowerment series. It's an NFT podcast. I'm one of the very first podcasters to release my podcast as an NFT, actually. 
I'm the very first artist to put a love poem on the blockchain that's coupled with uh, the original Polaroid by Polaroid. I'm the very first artist to put a comedy web series on the blog on the blockchain. Uh, comedy web series, uh, not animation, real actors that I produce and directed. How would you describe VCon? Uh, it's a place where people between entrepreneurs, artists, and everyone that's open-minded to come together and collaborate and you know spread ideas of you know love and you know good qualities that we all believe in. Fame Lady Squad and I, we decided to airdrop this spoken word NFT to all token holders. The 8,888 tokens, uh, 3,000 or so individual unique token holders have me in their wallets. So they'd already heard this particular spoken word and so that day was the first time that they've heard it performed live. Um, and Gary Vee was able to show up live, um, he was able to uh, to hear it and it was it was just a wonderful experience because my journey actually started off with closing out Gary Vee's event back in November at Blast Off to New York. So to be able to perform for him again and everyone else present with a new flow that I've created um, was a wonderful experience. How did you go? What was the transition like from doctor to artist? Yeah, so it was a, quite a few different pivots, um, but this is why I say that I'm a doctor by trade, spoken word artist at heart. I've always been a spoken word artist. I just had to remember, remind myself of who I was. In fact, I wrote a book back when I was 12 years old entitled The Midnight Show, and it had Van Gogh-inspired art and poetic lines, and it's about how all the sky lights up and how all of nature stops and takes in this beautiful expression of, of, of light. And it's akin to how when we begin to shine our own light, the world will take notice. And I wrote this book when I was 12, and finally I'm beginning to shine my light, and the world is taking notice. <laughs> you say finally starting to shine your light, but at 12 years old you had that knowledge that it would take that. Was there a, a gap where you weren't shining? Oh, definitely. I mean, I tell this to people all the time, not because I'm proud of it, but my favorite place in the world was underneath the bed. I was very shy growing up. I had a very bad lisp, uh -huh. and I didn't want to be seen, let alone heard. And so, yeah, I, there was a lot of things I had to overcome to realize that I had gifts, and if I wasn't sharing my unique set of gifts, expert skill sets, and talents, then it would forever go unshared. And it was doing a disservice to the world and to myself. How did you... How did you start shining the light? Was it you've had enough of enough or did someone help you through it or what was that moment? It was a combination of that, of realizing that I had light within me and I was you know, hiding it underneath a, a bushel, if you will. Um, and the barring the belief in, in me from someone else, barring someone else's belief in myself. And that was in the form of like my basketball coach in high school, my older sister. Other people believed in me and I needed to borrow their belief in, in me to, to be able to see for myself that I had something to offer the world. If you are a human being that is lucky enough to be happy, content, it is your responsibility to society and humanity to get louder about it.
back live at VCon 2022, Gary V's inaugural event here with Creatress, who is a VR performance artist. What exactly is that? What does it mean? Essentially, I create sculptures in VR. So I use a headset and I create a sculpture in front of a live audience at these Web3 events. I'm making a 3D sculpture in real time, in front of everybody, on my Oculus, and then it's created as an NFT, a 3D object. What were you doing before this was even a technological possibility? I was already studying art. I was trying out all types of art, glass blowing. I'm also the first glass blower woman on the blockchain. So I minted the very first glass blown artwork with an unlockable glass blown, you know, physical object for the collector. I did that last year at NFT NYC. That's so amazing. So how do you how do you um, feel about women in in this industry? What do we need to know? Oh, I think you need to know that you need to support the women more so that we can get more women in here and that they feel supported and like they're not part of a bros club. We want more women. Is That's there a lack of women? No, there is a lot of women, but there needs to be more. We're about, we're outnumbered like one to five here. So we need more. That's it. I'm passionate about like showing people that you can do what you want and you can be passionate and still succeed. Like you don't have to have a nine to five job. You don't have to do things that you're not happy with just to get by. Cause life isn't about getting by. It's about like connecting to yourself and connecting to the people around you. What do you do in your everyday world? Wow. <laughs> so I tattoo, I spin fire, I do silk fans, do every type of art. Um, I already have like two NFTs out, but definitely making a lot more. And I want to get really into EDM visuals and uh, projection mapping. <laughs> so why, when I asked that question, why was your first reaction, wow? I just do so many things. Like, okay. it's it's pretty insane. And I like that I'm, I'm kind of definitely like, um, what's it called? The jack of all traits, master of none. But the reason I'm not in college right now, I'm only 22. I chose not to be in college because I'm a master of none of these things because I want to experience and learn everything outside and be connected to people with as I learn these things. What's next for you, Debonair? Where do we see you in one in five years? Oh man, hopefully I have land and I'm actually going to be doing my own events that I do now, but on my own land where people can come and just create whatever they want to create and have fire spinners, have events, and bring your art and bring yourself and just anything that you do. I'm creating the first 3D VR NFT collection on Solana. Uh, it has not been done before. You can step into our art and experience it. And it's called The Sporgers. Did I hear you correctly before that you said you left your job to do this? I did, yeah. So in November, I was working in the corporate space as an engineer. I found out about Web3. I understood the utility behind it as an engineer. And then I took the leap of faith and thought I'd take a risk. The most growth happens when you're vulnerable and uncomfortable. And that's when you grow the most. And I, I've, I've just really developed a passion for being in that space. And 
I want to see what I can do when I go after my dreams and don't just like leave them on the back burner. Wow. Yeah. Your, your soundbite of growth happens when you're vulnerable. Is that, was that always the way you were growing up as a child? Did you always have this can-do attitude? Um, yeah, so I mean, I've been an athlete my whole life. I think being an athlete in extreme sports, I love to whitewater kayak. When I get on the river, um, it's game on. When I commit to running a rapid, uh, I have to adapt quickly. There's no, you know, stopping or bailing. You don't quit. So when you apply that mindset to this space and entrepreneurship and being a founder of a first-time founder, um, you know, you're going to succeed because you're going to go through these hills and valleys. But once you hit those mountaintops and you develop this uh, team of people around you that have a similar mindset and you can support each other, I mean, the impact you can make is insane.